Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are starting a new series in Deuteronomy. And the question for you all to get started with today is, who is God? Enjoy. Well, based on popular demand and endless emails, we are starting a series in Deuteronomy, my friends. Yes, and the crowd went wild. Great, that's really going to work well in the podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So here's where we're going to go today. The thing that I want to think about, eventually we want to get to, is God is. Where's the paper? We just buy wood around here and throw it away now. That's what we do. When you're a mega church like this and you have this much money, you just throw wood away. So if you, yeah, this would be a piece of art. Yeah, if you need that later. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be killer. Um, I completely forgot where I was going. So here's, here's the list. Here's where we're going today. We're going to talk about the journey. And then we're going to talk about the Golden Gate Bridge. And then if we're going to do that, we're going to talk about the unsolvable biological paradox. Everyone's excited for that one. (laughs) Then we're going to talk about Sagittarius A. And if we talk about Sagittarius A, then we're going to talk about God is. The book of Luke was all about this idea that the people of God were on a journey. The major metaphor and theme that runs through the book of Luke, even if you don't see it, is that there is a road that Jesus is literally on. And that road is important because it symbolizes for you that you are on a road, that you are on a journey, that you are going somewhere. That so much of how we've been taught faith in the 20th century and even into the 21st century is, it's not about your journey, it's not about the process, it's not about evolution. What you were told is it was all about a destination. And that is not the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative is it is about evolution, it is about a journey, and it is about a process. And so in Luke, what happens is these people are on a road, resurrection happens, and then you eventually get to the book of Acts. And it says, how does the journey continue? There's always a part of our life where we're figuring it out, where we need salvation, where we need help. We long to be liberated for something bigger and something new. And then the book of Acts comes along and it says, how do you live this thing out? That life is all about practice. That so often what we talk about Jesus and about God is it's what you believe. Do you have all of the theological furniture in your life properly organized? And can you memorize tulip, my friends? Instead of it being about, you could believe a bunch of great things. You could know the entire Bible and you could still be an asshole. Anybody know people like that? They know more of the Bible than anyone else, and they are grade A assholes, yes. And Jesus is very interested in that. The Bible is very interested in that and wants to take you on a journey where it's not just about the knowledge that you have. It's not just about the belief systems that you practice in. It's about how you actually live your life. 
what you actually do. I've said this in here before. Sociologists will tell us this beautiful fact in Los Angeles in 2019. Four out of five millennials do not go to church. We go to things like SoulCycle and CrossFit, right? The names, come on. <laughs> and why? Because millennials want to practice in community. Because you do not go to Soul Cycle and they do not sit you forward and they say, now let me tell you about the history of cycling. No, you get on there and you hustle, my friends, right? And that's exciting because you're participating in something bigger. That's the magic of the Bible. That's what the Bible is trying to bring you into. And what's powerful about the Bible is that the Old Testament, or probably better term, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament are telling the exact same stories but they're getting bigger in a bunch of different ways. And so uh, for a lot of us in this room, what we were taught about the Bible is learn as much about it as possible, particularly in the evangelical world that I grew up in, and memorize certain verses. And the belief was somehow this. If we all do that, then whatever it is that I believe about the Bible will be exactly the same about what the person who's reading the Bible in China is. Until we realize that's not how it works. The Protestant idea of sola scriptura is extremely wrong, right? It, that doesn't work. You can't just have scripture alone. You need a lens for something. You need a framework to understand scripture better. That tradition and scripture go hand in hand with one another. And because we have not been faithful to providing a broader framework for how the Bible works, Many of us not only struggle with the Bible, but we end up struggling with God because we've been taught a myopic and small story about who God is. So let's do a little bit of frameworks to kind of open our minds about how the Bible actually works. When I went to APU, they have two <laughs> APU fans out there. All right, theological debt, anybody? All right, yeah, that's good. This is a beautiful rendering of the Golden Gate Bridge, as you can tell. Was not an art major, friends. <clears throat> and at APU, they offer two classes that everyone has to take. It is Exodus Deuteronomy, right? And it is Luke Acts. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason for that that I didn't learn until like way too late to understanding how the Bible actually works. What most of us have been taught is a poor framework for how to understand God in the Bible. And what we've been taught is we spent a lot of time in like Genesis 1 through 3. And if you went to Calvary chapels, which some of you did, you spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation, right? Because the rapture is coming, my friends. All right. Here we go. Praise God. But here's the deal. Genesis 1 through 3 is not the basis for the rest of scripture. Crazy, I know. And here's how I know that, is that the rest of the Hebrew Bible will never mention the stories in Genesis 1 through 3 ever again. So if it's so important that we learn that humanity is based off of the fall, then how come the rest of the Hebrew Bible is not interested in it? And then when we get to the New Testament, the stories of Genesis 1 through 3 are only mentioned twice, once by Jesus and once by Paul. Why that's really important is we were given a theological framework that doesn't work. It's not about a problem of sin that came into the world and this God is trying to fix it. I know that's radical. It's about all of us being made in the image of God and how this God liberates us so that we can be more reflective of that image in the world. 
That's what the salvation story is about. So Exodus Deuteronomy is about the salvation of a God who cares about the marginalized. That the God of the universe didn't show up to the superpowers and the powerful because it was the powerful who were oppressing. It was the powerful who were using their power to diminish the image of God in humanity. So God shows up to the lowest of the low of the low, a little tribe called the Israelites when they were enslaved. And this God says, this is how you'll know who I am because I will liberate you from those powers. I will liberate you from people telling you that you are not made in the image of God. I will liberate you so that you will know that every single human being is valuable. So the story of Exodus is about a specific people, the Israelites, who are liberated from their oppressors. The book of Deuteronomy is once you are liberated, whatever you're liberated from, once you are saved, once you experience new life, how do you actually live this life out in a meaningful way? Why? So that you don't become the oppressor. So that you don't become the very thing that has hurt you. That's truly freedom from sin. As we talk about sin in a much more comprehensive way, the palpable disruption of shalom, there are individual choices that we make and there are corporate systems that disrupt that shalom all of the time. And God wants to free us from those systems, from sin in that broader context, so that we can reflect a better image to the world that you are loved and that God enjoys you and shalom and wholeness and peace. And imagine what humanity could look like if that was our framework. Not the framework of you're horrible and you're depraved and this God is just so, so mad at you. You are, you thought of a boob, right? <laughs> or what, that's what I was like told when I was like a kid. Like I was constantly like asking for forgiveness for the things that like I was thinking, you know? And that's not the story. The story is freeing me to be the wholest and fullest human being possible. And here's where the Bible gets even bigger, is that as you move into the New Testament, the story moves from God saving and liberating one people and teaching them how to practice this way of life so that they best reflect to the world what this God is really about. This God is a liberator. This God frees people. This God takes the bondage that is so real in humanity, takes the shame, takes all the things that other people put on us and that we put upon ourselves and says, no, that is not who you are. Who you are is made in my image. Who you are is my child. Who you are is loved. Who you are is enjoyed. Live into that every day. And that is not enough for one people group to understand. And so the story of Jesus is audacious. The story of Jesus is this God comes as a human being to say, this story is for all of humanity. And that's the story of Luke Acts. That's the story of the gospels. This story is not just about specific people group. This story isn't even just about the church. That's where we miss it. The people of Israel, the church, all that that means is that you're supposed to be a foretaste of something bigger. You are supposed to represent something bigger, but it doesn't mean that it's exclusively for you. It means it's inclusively for the rest of humanity. And our job is to reverse the amnesia of the world to say, this is who we all truly are. How do I know this? Because even Jesus doesn't stick around. Even Jesus says something bigger is coming. 
right? And what bigger is coming is the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is in every single human being. And the revelation there is that the Spirit has been in you since day one. Because when God breathed into the man and the woman, God breathed this beautiful word called ruach, right? And this ruach is what it's telling, right, from a a, a mythological, how do we say this, in, in the truest sense possible to humanity is, you have all already had my spirit in me all along. And the Hebrew word ruach, there's no religion needed. It's the same word for breath. It's the same word for wind. It's like God saying, the moment you breathe in your first breath of air as a human being, I was there and I will always be there. And this journey is not to convince you of how bad you've been. This journey is to remind you to that I'm going to free you and free you and free you and free you so that when people tell you that you're not worthy and that you can't get up here and speak because you're a woman, I will tell you, no, that's not true. Praise God for Rachel Held Evans. When the, when the world tells you, oh, the marginalized have no voice, it's only white men who can go into seminary and get an MDiv, have something theological to say. You say, no, thank you. We're liberated for a bigger story. When the world tells you that you're not valid because of your sexual preferences, you say, no, thank you. I have been liberated from the very beginning and my amnesia is being reversed for who I am as a human being. That's the theological framework of the Bible. And doesn't that sound so much more like goodness? Yeah, you can give a laugh that. And so much of the work that we have to do is to reverse our thinking to open it up in a much bigger way because people have given us very bad Bible. Amen. Theology kills, right? And what we want to do is be free to the bigger story and the actual story that's going on in the scripture. These are the anchor points for the rest of scripture. The rest of the Hebrew Bible will come back to the salvation story endlessly. The rest of the New Testament will come back to the salvation story endlessly. It's not about like... Did they really have belly buttons or whatever, you know, is going on in the garden? And then when Magog and Gog and the Russians enter in, then we'll know that the rapture is imminent, brothers. And It's not about that, right? <laughs> the homosexuals are ruining that the rapture is imminent. This is the shit you see online, right? Missing the point. The point is freedom and salvation for every single human being. You need to know that framework if we're ever going to do good work in the book of Deuteronomy. Because when we get into the Old Testament, sometimes people are like, oh, that's the angry God back there. No. This is always a story of a God who's trying to show you that this God is consistent throughout all of eternity, but this God is opening up and evolving the story for humanity in a way in which we would all understand truly who we are and what image that we're made in. That's the beauty of the story. So one more thing for you to understand this. The whole Bible is not equal. I'm so sorry for whatever they taught you in Sunday school. It's not, that's not orthodox. In the Hebrew Bible, the Torah is supreme. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the five books of the Torah. That is the gospel of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the gospels reign supreme. Why? Because they hold up everything else. It all comes back to the salvation story. Now that's incredibly important for us to understand and why we're even in the book of Deuteronomy is that we're reclaiming a framework for how we understand the Bible. And and Deuteronomy is the last book of the Torah because Deuteronomy is endlessly interested in if you've truly experienced freedom, salvation, and liberation, then how do we help you understand how to live this thing out 
in a way that's meaningful. And here's the truth about a community like New Abbey. This is the area that we need the most work, is maturity. We say all the time our mission here is telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2019. And we do that through healing, transformation, and maturity. We all raise our hands for healing and transformation. But what we have thought sometimes is, I guess deconstruction means I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right? Sometimes that's what we think. A progressive understanding of scripture means I can just endlessly do whatever I want. Deuteronomy, the scriptures are saying, that's not wholeness and health. The more you truly understand your image, the more you truly understand things, the more that you're freed from this horrible story that you are just bad, the more that you truly want to reflect actually who this God is. The more that you understand that God is a liberator, the more that you understand that God frees people, the more that you understand that God reclaims and renames and gives truth to other human beings are, that radically shapes how you live your life now, how you interact on a daily basis, what you're offering to the world. That's the power of Deuteronomy. And what Deuteronomy does is it's trying to reframe how we even understand who God is, which gets us to the unsolvable biological paradox, which you were all waiting for. And we're here. Thank you. I will take the last from the cheap seats in front. The unsolvable biological paradox is this, that as little children, we are designed in such a way that when we are in pain, terror, fear, or anguish, we are designed to run to our caretakers, to our parents, to whoever is the one looking after us. And then what's happened sometimes is those very caretakers are the ones who damage us. And we have a biological paradox that takes place within us. Neuroscientists will tell us that even spanking at times will lead to that, that um, dichotomy within a child. This child is now terrified of the very person that is supposed to care for them. They are designed when a lion runs at them, who do they run to? Parents or their caretaker. And so what so much of our theological framework has been really in the last three centuries, as Freud and as Jung will tell us, is that so much of how we see God is how we see our parents. And we live in this paradox about God, that there's something within each and every one of us in this room where we believe that when we're in fear and pain and terror and anguish, we desperately want to run to the divine. And yet what we have been so taught about this divine is this divine just desperately wants to spank us. And we're scared and we're confused and we don't know how to live this thing out. And part of Deuteronomy is saying, that's not who this God is. This God's not looking to spank you. This God wants to show you how to live your very best life possible and to do that thing in community so that we can all run there together, so that we can all be free together. That's what this story is all about. With that setup, here's Deuteronomy 4. Now Israel, here are the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Why we're starting in Deuteronomy 4 and not Deuteronomy 1 through 3 is this. I can explain Deuteronomy 1 through 3 to you very quickly. The people of God are in the wilderness. They've been there 38 years. They are about to enter into the promised land and they are at the very edge of the Jordan River. And they're about to enter into the thing that they believe that God has promised them for, for centuries. Now you're in Deuteronomy 4. Great. 
<laughs> Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land, the Lord, the God of your ancestors. So much of what Deuteronomy 4 is going to remind you of is who this God is. And so Deuteronomy is going to use very physical and tangible language like hear, hear this in a fresh way. It's why Jesus will always say things like, do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Right? Can you hear in a new way that this God, who is now going to fulfill the promises that you've been longing for, which by the way, every single one of us want to be there, right? How many of us right now are on a precipice where we're waiting to step into something new? I feel like Joel Osteen just saying that out of my mouth. <laughs> I want you to think houses, brothers and sisters. I want you to think cars, right? But maybe there's something in your life. It's family. It's a job. It's a relationship. You're longing for something new and you feel like I want to move into that thing. And this God is reminding you of, I'm going to walk with you into that thing because I've already freed you from something before. So the reminder is, hear back, listen back to your own thoughts, your own words to that moment when I saved you from that thing. If that was true, imagine what could be true moving forward. If I could walk with you that journey where you never thought that you were gonna come out, if I could walk you with you through that journey where you never thought that you could be honest about what you actually believed in God and you could make it, imagine where I'll go with you into a promised land. You made it through the wilderness is what God's saying to you. And if I could get you through that, when it's milk and honey, my friends, this is my business, people, right? That's what God's saying here. Do not add to what command to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. By the way, throughout all of history, this is all that we do is add and subtract to the commands because it's all about a theological lens. So people like fundamentalists will be like, you're adding to the Bible, you're taking away from it. It doesn't tell you what you're not adding or subtracting. The whole point is you need lenses to understand who God is. That's the bigger story that's taking place here. You saw with your own eyes, again, it's bringing us, if you've heard, now remember what you've seen, what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Remember that this God is a God who frees you. This God is a God who tells you a bigger story of what your image looks like. This is a God who saves you. This is a God who takes the marginalized and gives them a voice. This is a God who sacrifices children, right? This is a God who teaches you greed. This is a God who wants everything from you, but in a way that's gonna destroy you and other people. This is a God that teaches you judgment. This is a God that creates division. This is what it's trying to do here. We don't have a lot of ball pure worshipers anymore, but the story's still the same. What is this God doing versus everything else? What is this God trying to bring you back to versus the other narratives that are possible? The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the ball of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, again, using your eyes, right, taking your senses, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Now it's about practice. If you remember the salvation that I gave you, if you can remember back into your life when you were broken, when you were hurting, when you felt like you had nothing left and I got you through that, then would you observe forward a reflection of that freedom that you were brought from? Does that make sense? My story goes like this. Corey, if you can remember back into your life 10 years ago, when you were an adulterer and cheated on your wife and you can remember sitting on her with a, at a corner in Glendora and thinking your marriage was over, if you can remember to that time that Carissa looked into your face and said, I know what you've done, but I'm committed to this thing if you are. If I could get you through that, imagine where I can take you from here and imagine what you'll reflect to the rest of the world. 
if I can take you through your biggest pain, through your lowest mistakes, through the worst that you've ever done, and that's not the reflection of God that I want to offer to the world, imagine what I can offer and reflect now. I can reflect a God who, in the worst of the worst, when I thought that I lost everything, says, I got you. I'm going to walk with you through this. Imagine how you're going to look into other people's eyes when they're dealing with their own sexuality, when they're dealing with their own choices, when they're dealing with their own family histories, and you get to say to them, me too. Ugh, I know what that's like. Corey, if I can walk you through a season five years ago when you lost all of your extended family and they called you a heretic and they said you're telling this radically different story of Jesus. If I could deal with you in the wilderness there, imagine how I can deal with you now in a community, in a room of people who are like, ugh, I have so much loss. I have so much pain. I have so much fear. This is your story. This is our story. This God is saying, if I could get you through this, I'll get you to this. But what I want you to do is reflect who I am, who I am as a redeemer, who I am as someone who frees you. So observe them carefully. This will show your wisdom and understanding to all the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Surely this community reflects the fruit of this bigger story of God. That's what I hope for. Clearly this church is not concerned with what's the laser show like? How cool are the pastor's shoes? How big is the thing? What is the music like? Oh, you're talking about New Abbey? Man, those people love like crazy. They are kind. They are gracious. They are just. They care for the poor. They tell a bigger story about how we're all made in the image of God. They tell a more robust story of what sin is and how we should live into this world in a way that's free. You're talking about that community? That's a beautiful thing. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way that your God is near us whenever we pray to her? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them, which is a simple way of saying this. Observe in yourself the freedom that you experience when you relearned and reclaim that you are made in the image of God. Observe in yourself the freedom that you experience when you realize that this God could save you, free you, and liberate you even from your darkest fears. Observe it so well, practice it so greatly that for the generations who come behind you, they will know the power of that story. That's what this thing is saying. You will have worn out your shoes so much, right? That, these, that the blisters will be embedded to your feet about how inclusive and how freeing and how great and how gracious and how kind this God is. Not how angry and how punitive and how small and how unjust this God is. Sagittarius A, you were also waiting to get there. Sagittarius A is the black hole that's in the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Sagittarius A was just photographed for the first time last year. And it took 10 of our best telescopes on planet Earth to take a picture of Sagittarius A. And it took endless amounts of data to put this thing together to tell a story about the, the, a black hole that's in the center of our universe. Here's the great thing about the Bible. The Bible knows nothing about Sagittarius A. <laughs> right? It doesn't. It was not sitting around trying to tell you a story about Sagittarius A. Why do I say that? Deuteronomy is just trying to say, get some things in your DNA about what it means to be a good, healthy, whole human being. And then as you're on your journey, you're going to come across some things that crazy enough weren't found in numbers. 
right? The Bible didn't have all of the answers for you about Facebook or Google or Neanderthals. No, it didn't. And that's a gift. The point is we know better now. And as much as our views of the universe expand, something will never change as a human being, that you bear the image of this God. And then even if we're colonizing Mars, that doesn't mean we'll be any kinder necessarily. It doesn't mean we might be more just. It doesn't mean we might be radically freeing more poor people from their bondage. And so this story is wherever humanity goes, even as we map out all of the black holes in our galaxy, that doesn't answer the reality of what it means to be human and how we can treat one another and the true freedom that we want for each other. So who God is, God is someone who liberates. God is somebody who frees. God is the biggest story possible. God is bound into thousands and thousands of years of faithful people who have followed this God saying, yes, this God saved me and freed me too for a bigger reality. Who is this God? This God knew about Sagittarius A even when we didn't. The point is we'll never outpace the grace and love of God, but we can do our very best to reflect this reality back into the world. With that, let's answer some questions together. How can you practice following God in a new way? Find the same few people around you. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.